0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Thanks. It's such a privilege to be here. Um, And I just want to tell you that I I don't take lightly the fact that uh, Josh, our pastor, is very generous in allowing me to be up here and and has been generous with so many people to to allow people to come up here and, and, and teach and share uh, not every pastor is as generous as Josh is with that. So thank you, Josh. And, uh, and let's, uh, let's give him and Katie a hand, too, because they are just doing such a fabulous job. And the worship team, as you know, I'm part of the worship team, obviously not today. Um, I got to tell you, I've been in a few worship teams, and they've all been good in their own way, but there's, there's some authenticity here among these people, especially you hear about these millennials that are just trouble. That's not true with some of the – now, Nick, I don't know if you're a millennial, and I'm not a millennial, <clears throat> no, but in my heart, yeah. So um, just I just want to tell you, you, the people that are up here on stage doing the work to lead you in worship, lead us in worship, are just fabulous people, so we really appreciate that. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us this day, that we have every heartbeat, that we have every breath. I pray, Jesus, that you would use me as your instrument, but that everything that is heard is from your word and from your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I got show and tell here for you today. I'm a very visual guy, and um, I know you maybe can't see this, so hopefully it's up there on the screen, or will be shortly. Anybody want to hazard a guess? As to what this is, I'm holding in my hand. Don't be shy. Anybody want to guess what this is? Anybody? Yes, sir, in the back. You had your hand up. It's, it's a key. It's a key. You speak Spanish. Yes. Um, it is a key to a lockbox. No, it's a key. Anybody? No? Key to, key to the city. Nope, it is not. This is a key to a prison cell. This is the type of key... They used to use back in the day in the Arizona Department of Corrections to lock up the cells. And um, I know you wouldn't know it to look at me, but there's a hard truth about me that you have to know. I've been to prison. I've been to prison more than once. I know. It may be hard to believe. Um, now, it might be helpful for you to know that I actually worked for the prison. So. Ah. I was the communications director for the State Department of Corrections a few years ago, so I've been to a lot of prisons. In fact, uh, I've been to all but one in Arizona as a visitor, thankfully. And the thing about prisons, it's not like the movies at all. Shawshank Redemption, forget it. It's a great movie, but that ain't prison. Um, You go into prison, they are all different, as you can imagine. There are prisons in Florence and West Phoenix and Central Phoenix and Safford, all over the state. And no two are exactly alike. I mean, they have some commonalities, but they're not exactly alike. And as I've toured prisons for various reasons to understand what they're all about, because when I was the communications director, you might have to explain what's going on at XYZ Prison. It helps to to know it. So... (coughs) When you go through a prison, you've got minimum security all the way up to to death row. And I've seen it all. And the interesting thing is, especially when you go through, like, minimum or medium security, they're not cells. They don't have cells. It's dormitories. It's like barracks, uh, like you'd see at summer camp. The counselors are a little tougher than summer camp. Um, But it's a dormitory. And it's very interesting to walk through with the warden and some some of the officers, and you're walking through this dormitory and you see somebody's bed, and they maybe have a, uh, a television there or some photographs or some personal items, and you keep doing this and you walk through and you realize, at least for me, kind of this somewhat uncomfortable realization came to me, I'm in somebody's home. And that sounds weird, but this inmate sleeps on this bed and he has chow someplace else, and he works in the yard or whatever he does or she. And uh, and that's home. And you think about that if you're if you're an inmate and and you're going to prison, not jail. Jail you might get out in a few days. Prison you're there for at least a year, at least maybe life, and you have to make that your home. Or you might go a little nuts otherwise. So it felt weird, you know, to to be in somebody else's home. And realize this person, even though. He is an inmate, has dignity, and you have to respect that. But it's not natural. Prison is not your home. It's not your home. So we're in Acts chapter 12, and Josh said, Here's here's what you're preaching on, Doug, chapter 12, and here we are in prison. How about that? If you you have your Bible, we're going to read almost all of Acts chapter 12. It's one of those cool Sunday school stories you might have heard. It's got a really cool story kind of in the middle. We're going to touch on that. But we're going to start at the beginning, verse 1. We're going to look at some prisons. And in verse 1, it says, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now, we've probably all heard of Herod. There's the Herod from the Christmas story. Not so nice a guy, tries to have Jesus killed, does a lot of other terrible things. Well, this isn't the same Herod. This is actually Herod Agrippa I, which is that Herod's grandson. And um, the apple didn't fall far from the tree because this guy is no better. It says right here, as you've seen, he stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Who likes to be harassed? Just a show of hands. Anybody like No. No. Nobody likes to be harassed. The word in the Greek, I won't try to pronounce it, Um, But the word in the Greek also says things like, do evil to, or vex, or um, uh, exasperate. And I like that word. He's out there to harass and exasperate the church. The church has been in existence a very short time. Christ is in heaven. He's already given the Great Commission. The apostles are out there doing their things. And Herod doesn't like any of this. Now, we can look at this something of a metaphor as well, because... What does the enemy, the devil, want to do with the church? Exasperate, vex, harass, destroy, bring you down, all those things. So Herod is just doing, he doesn't know the Lord, Herod is just doing what the world would have him do. And so we move on in the verse, to the next verse, he says, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James is one of the 12 apostles, James and John, the sons of thunder. If you've heard the gospels where, where Jesus is, is in his ministry, this is James, the brother of John. And because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. We all know Peter, right? This is the one who denied Jesus. Now, let me just stop here in the story for just a second. Um, well, I'll, continue. I'll stop in just a second. Well, let's finish up another verse here. So this was during the days of the unleavened bread. And so when Herod had arrested him, being Peter, and put Peter in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. One dude, four squads. I don't know, what's that, a dozen, 20 guys? To keep one dude. And they intended to bring him before the people after the Passover. So what's happening here is that Herod is doing what the... The religious big shots of the day, that's what I like to call them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, these guys, these are religious big shots. And, and these are the people that Jesus saved his most biting criticism for when he was ministering on his ti- in his time on earth. Because he knew they were hypocrites, he knew they really didn't know God, and they, and they were, in essence, harassing the people. They hated the common people. Just read your New Testament, you'll see that over and over again in the Gospels. So uh, the religious big shots are really happy to see this persecution. Now, I want to pause for just a second here because here 2,000 years later, we sometimes, hopefully nobody in this church, but you hear a lot about the Jews and how they did these awful things. And there's a lot of anti-Semitism and bigotry to this day against the Jewish people because of the events of of Christ's life. I want to tell you that's sinful. I want to tell you that's wrong. I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus is about. That's not what the gospel is about. Jesus was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. James was a Jew. They were all Jews. We need to love. We need to show grace. We cannot continue. If you've ever done that, please, please consider it that this is not what the gospel is about. But history is what it is, and Herod is pleasing the Jewish leaders of that day because, let's be honest, those Jewish leaders were threatened by the gospel. It was threatening their power. It was threatening their prestige. It was threatening their position. So um, Peter, therefore, moving on in the text, was kept in prison, uh, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church, constant prayer. So imagine right now that, that you're Peter, you have walked with Jesus, you denied Jesus three times, he restored you three times, and you're now a leader in the church, it's been a few years that you've been a leader of the church, one of uh, your co-disciples has just been murdered, so you're in prison with four squads of soldiers, what are you thinking? Probably one of two things, probably, we don't know, but probably Peter is thinking, well, I'm going to see Jesus soon. Because James was just executed, and that's what they want. So I'm next. So Peter has to have this on his mind. Now, he could have had it on his mind. The Lord might deliver me. And that's certainly very possible that that's what was on Peter's mind. Um, But there's every expectation, I I would think, that Peter has to be prepared uh, to die. Now, notice that it talks about constant prayer on the part of the church. Churches met in homes in these days or small groups of maybe a handful, 20 people, maybe as many as we have in this room today. I don't know. Small. But it doesn't say in the text what they prayed for, does it? It just says they were in constant prayer. Nowhere in the text does it say they prayed for Peter to get out. Nowhere does it say that Peter, Peter would get out and his ministry would thrive and grow and be strong for many years to come. Nowhere does it say anything like that. We don't know. They might... I'm sure people prayed for that, but there were probably people who prayed that if he was going to die, that it would go quickly and painlessly for him. We don't know. The the number of prayers and the types of prayers would probably depend on the people who were in there and where their heart was at the time. But the one thing we do know is that they were in constant prayer, that it was a lifestyle for them. It was essential to them. It was like breathing To this church, and that's a lesson for us today. I've seen prayer in action in my life, I've seen prayer in action in my family's life, I've seen miracles happen things that you wouldn't believe because of prayer. So, when Herod was about to bring him, Peter, out that night, Peter was sleeping. So, Peter's really worried here, as you can tell. He's really anxious. He can't get any. What? Wait. He was sleeping? He was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Peter was sleeping. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a situation where the society in which I live is full of hate towards what I believe, and it's getting there, I'm, I don't know how well I'm going to sleep if I'm thinking I'm going to have my head chopped off the next day. Are you going to sleep? But we have to understand that Peter's hope was not in getting out of that prison and having another few years of ministry. That, Peter's hope was not getting back out to see his family. Peter's hope was not in going out and, and, and writing some, some parts of the New Testament. Peter's hope was in Jesus Christ. He could sleep because he knew his Lord. He knew his Lord, and his Lord said, one day you'll be bound up, and you will go where you don't want to go. For all Peter knew, that was happening now. For all he knew, and yet he could sleep. What did Peter not have? Worry and doubt. What were not a part of Peter's vocabulary at this point in his life? At the lowest point of his life, when he is about to be killed, so he thinks, no worry, no doubt. So now, we get to the fun part of the story. And this is one of the coolest stories in the Bible. It just is. So, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Anybody here have that happen? No? I didn't think so. Not that you know of anyway, right? And a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. Basically, hey, wake up. (laughs) Wake up, man. We're going to get you out of here. So, he gets up and says, Arise quickly. The chains fell off of Peter's hands. The angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. Get your clothes on. Get your shoes on. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments. Follow me. So he did. He followed him. Didn't know that what he was seeing with the angel was real. Didn't know. Thought he was having a vision. That's a heck of a dream. I have not had a dream that vivid. But he thinks he's having a, having a dream. Can't blame him. So... They were past the first and the second guard posts, and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. That opened of its own accord, so the Honda Motor Corporation was clearly a part of the... No, just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. Really bad Bible school joke. They went out, and they went down one street, and immediately the angel boogied and split. Angel's gone. The Bible says it departed from him. I like to say boogied and split. Sorry. So Peter comes to himself, kind of shakes his head a little bit and clears his cobwebs, and he says, well, hmm. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. Notice it doesn't say the Lord came, it sent an angel. Sometimes in the Bible when you see an angel, it's really an appearance of Jesus. Apparently this really is an angel. Delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, when he had considered this, he said... I'm going to get out of here. And I'm going to go to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And many were gathered together praying. Remember, constant prayer. Middle of the night, Peter's asleep. The middle of the night, and they're having a prayer meeting. And so many are gathered together praying. And Peter knocked on the door. You can kind of imagine the senior. You know, Peter's like, I've just seen a vision. I've got to get out of here, man. I don't know. going to follow me? And the soldier gets to the door, and he wraps on the door and are coming. The, the cops are coming, man. Gotta get me out of here. Come on. And they hear him. They hear him inside. And who goes? A 12 year old girl. A little girl named Rhoda. She's like, oh, I'll get the door. She goes and gets the door. And um, she recognizes Peter's voice. And she's like, Hey, it's Peter. I gotta go away. And Peter's standing there at the door. He's going, are coming. The cops are coming. And of course, what happens? The people who are constantly praying, certainly some are praying for Peter's deliverance. Certainly some are praying for Peter to get out and come back to them. They say, yeah, come on, let him in. We're sure it's him. Right? No. They say, you're out of your mind. That is not Peter out there. Maybe it's his angel. They're more ready to believe that an angel has appeared physically to this girl than they are that Peter somehow got out. Now, there are a lot of people, and a lot of sermons have been you know, said, teachings and so forth, where people are critical of these, these guys, making fun of them. I really don't mean to be mocking them. Because let's, let's put our minds back in that time. Again, this is a culture in which a meeting like this, like we're having today, would would be pretty tough to do. You'd be hiding. This is a culture in which it was nothing for the cops to come, cops of that day, to come and grab you. You're a Christian? Yes. Okay, lop your head off. And that was it. How many times would that have happened to people that this church, these people praying, they would have had personal friends and family members undoubtedly Maybe, maybe wives, husbands, children, who were executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. This was the life they were living. This was the reality they were in. In the United States today, we cannot appreciate that. We, we talk about the culture being sick and rotten, and it is. And in this country, it's nothing compared to what some of our brothers and sisters are dealing with in places like Afghanistan and Iran and North Korea and you name it. They live that today. Pray for them. But that's what this church was living. So they had every, bel- every expectation, this is it for Peter. And to have this admittedly incredible, miraculous deliverance of Peter was, was unexpected. So Peter continued knocking. They opened the door, and they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand, he said, the cops are coming. No. He said, quiet. Quiet. I got something for you here. You would not believe what just happened to me. And so he told them what had happened to him and how the Lord, the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. This is a different James, by the way. Not the James, obviously, who was executed. There's another James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he departed and went to another place. And then, as soon as it was day, I love, I love the, um, the way the Bible is sometimes written. It's very understated at some times, and this is one of those times. As soon as it was day, it said, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. You think? It was not going to go well for these soldiers and guards, just let me tell you. Um, Because they couldn't find Peter. He was an escapee, and so what happened is Herod heard about it, and they examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. You think it was tough to be a prison guard today? Uh, you didn't want to be one back in those days. That was the punishment. And then Peter goes down from Judea, and he stayed there to Caesarea. Now, later, the, the, the chapter has a few more verses I'm not going to get to here. I'll just summarize by saying if, if you're curious what happens to Herod, it's a very interesting story as well because there's a, a dispute that he has um, with a, a community called Tyre and Sidon, not too far from where uh, his palace would be. And uh, he went down there to make peace with them, and he starts speaking, and he's speaking really well. And they say, it's the voice of a God, not of a man, the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod's like, hey, that's pretty cool. I like that. And God decides to strike him down and have him meeting with worms. So, you might want to be careful what you say about yourself. It does not go well for Herod. So, we go back for just a moment in the story to the beginning of this story where Herod executes James because there's something here language related that I think, I don't know, I don't want to impart too much theological import to it, but I think it's interesting. So Herod has James, the brother of John, one of the disciples, executed at the beginning of this story. Did you know that the name James doesn't exist in the Bible. It doesn't. You say, well, it's right here. Yeah, it's here now. But the name James does not exist in the original text of the Bible. There is no, Jimmy, I love you, but there's no Jimmy in the Bible. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. James is actually... Um, a different name. Now you have John. John is Johannes. We see that. Johannes, John. That's in the Bible. Peter, Petros. That's in the Bible. But James, the name is actually Jacobus. Jacobus, because there's no J in Hebrew or in the, in the in the Bible. There's no J. It's Jacobus. Well, what is Jacobus? It's Jacob. Now, you want to know why it's James? Ever ever heard of the King James Bible? Who authorized the King James Bible? King James. You think maybe they thought they want to throw James a bone? And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Now, that doesn't make the, book, the, the Bible any less uh, authentic. I'm just telling you they changed the name. It's Jacobus. So anytime you see James, it's Jacobus. What's another name for for Jacob. You see it up there on the, on the screen. Israel. Herod had a guy named Israel executed for the sake of Israel. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that that's some great mystic theological thing. It's not. I just think it's interesting that a man named after the very nation that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were there to protect and, and develop as Christians was executed in the name of his own nation. And they thought this was good. The Jewish big shots in Herod, they're happy to have Jacobus executed because he threatens, what does he threaten? Their power, their status, and their position. The leaders of Israel kill a man because of their own prison. They are in a prison. They are in a prison. Herod is in a prison. The Jewish big shots are in a prison. Peter is behind bars for a while. He is between squads of soldiers. Peter is behind bars, but he's asleep. He's okay with his fate, whatever it will be. He is at peace. Peter's behind bars. Peter is not in prison. He's not in prison. Who's in prison? The big shots and Herod. What was their prison? Power, position. Power and position. You threaten my power. You threaten my position. I am going to come after you with everything I have and I'm going to protect it. Does that not strike you as odd? (laughs) I wasn't going to bring this up, but it just occurred to me, you know, we fight over real estate a lot, you know. If you're a Facebook friend of mine, you, you notice that this week I posted that the house I grew up in not far from here is going to be torn down, and it's kind of a bummer, but we hadn't lived there in 16 years. My parents hadn't lived there in 16 years, and they're with the Lord. And I think about, okay, you put all this money and all this effort and all this time, and, and look, there's some great memories there. Don't get me wrong, and I'm, I'm sad to see it go, but we all fight over things that 100 years from now, no one will know that it was there. Can anybody here tell me what Herod Agrippa's kingdom was like? Not really. I mean, it was not so good. We know that. Can anybody here tell me what some random King George I from England? Anybody? You know, we know there's a George III. What about George III? What did he do? Nobody knows. It's a big deal at the time. I don't care now. I'm not saying history's not important. Don't get me wrong. But, man, we fight over things that just seem so important. We've got to hang on to them like this, and people forget, and that's what these guys were doing, but let's not be too hasty to judge them, because the truth of the matter is, we all have prisons, every one of us has a prison, sometimes that prison was built up by somebody else, and we've chosen to make it a home. It's just a lumpy bed and some personal items, and i got to wear an orange jumpsuit, but that's my home. <laughs> you made it a home, and somebody else made it for you. Or maybe you made your own prison, and you kind of like living there. You've adjusted, you've institutionalized yourself to being in that prison, and it feels comfortable to you because you're so used to it, but it's not your Not your home. What is your prison? Everybody has one. Some are obvious. Nick and I are in a band and we go play music at some places where they do recovery and we see people with obvious prisons and the stories are amazing of God intervening in people's lives. And and the truth is, anybody, any one of us could go to these meetings and find reason to be there. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? What is your prison? Is it addiction? I'm going to say some things that might bother you here in a second, and I don't mean to offend, and I, I hope I don't. I think I hope. <laughs> and if I say something that hits you, to understand... I don't have any names in mind. I don't have any people in mind. I don't know you well enough to say, but I feel like God has put this on my heart. Statistically speaking, just statistically speaking, there are people in this room right now, today, this moment, who are in a prison of addiction. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol, food, sex, okay? Okay. There's some people here with that prison right now. Maybe it's food. That's a prison. You use food as a crutch. Money is a prison, letting it go. Josh talked about tithing. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. That can be a prison. What about feeling of betrayal? You're hanging on to something in your life from Years ago from your childhood, maybe, maybe you didn't have a good childhood. Maybe your parents weren't so good to you. Maybe you have a reason to be upset or you've been betrayed by a friend or a family member. That is a prison. It's a prison. What about self-esteem? Maybe you don't have a lot. That's a prison. Anger? (laughs) I struggle with that. I struggle with a lot of things, and it's one thing I struggle with. Bitterness, who, you know, bitterness is a prison that only affects you, tears you up. You could be bitter about things, and the person you're bitter at doesn't even remember you. Fear is a big prison. mentioned sex, envy, lust, pride. Statistically speaking, this is a controversial subject, but we're really good in the, in the church in the United States and maybe throughout the world about elevating some sins, some prisons above others. <laughs> Again, if this offends you, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say it. If, if two men were to walk in here holding hands and it was obvious that they were partners, if you know what I mean, how would we look at them? We've made a really good effort as a church, not this church, but, I mean, just in general, saying they can go to hell. But they're in a prison. If somebody came in here and they were obviously drunk, we would have more grace towards them than we would towards some other people that come in. But their sins, as the Bible says, the sins of some are obvious, but the sins of others follow behind. So nobody's exempt from this prison. Statistically speaking, there's somebody in this room who's dealing with sexual sin, maybe homosexuality. Statistically speaking in this room, there's somebody right now dealing with addiction. Statistically speaking, there's somebody in this room dealing with some sort of self-esteem food. Something is putting you in prison. So I want to tell you right now, I want to tell you from my heart. If you are struggling with homosexuality... I got news for you. Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. And we love you too. You need to confront the sin and the pain in your life, but Jesus loves you. If you walked through these doors today and last night you had to have some weed to get through the night or you had to get drunk and and you found yourself in here, I want you to know something. There's news for you. I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. He's crazy about you. You need to confront the sin and the pain in your life. But we love you too. If you're in a relationship that's wrong, if you're cheating on your spouse, or if you're single and you're you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, I I have news for you that Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. And we love you too. We love you. Church, I've heard so many times that there's people that would never come to church because the roof would cave in and they would feel guilt and shame and all these horrible things. And sometimes the church has delivered on that. You'd better wear the right thing. You'd better say the right thing. You'd better have the right haircut. You'd better this. You'd better, you'd better, you'd better. Well, forget that you better. How about Jesus makes you better? And the only way, the only way that you're going to get out of that prison is to go to Jesus. There are people here today that you think you're lower than worm food. You haven't had somebody tell you in years that they love you. You haven't had somebody come and give you a hug and honestly give you some some affirmation in your life. You are struggling. We had some high-profile suicides in, in the world this last couple weeks. Those poor people I want you to know, Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. <laughs> the, I've, I've heard the question asked, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus, why Jesus? Why couldn't God have intervened in some other way? I, you know, I can't say that I know every bit of that mysterious question. I will tell you this. It's not an answer that I came up with. I read about it in a really good book by Charles Colson and Nancy Piercy. And they said, sin is committed by finite mortal beings, us. We commit sin, every one of us, right? But it offends an infinite eternal being God cannot handle even the tiniest bit of sin. That's why I'm saying, when I'm saying to you, whether it's a sexual sin or you just have problems telling the truth, you know, gave the IRS the, some bad numbers once, you know, whatever it is, it's all offensive to God. And yet, he condescended to send himself in the form of a man because it was a man, a finite, mortal, killable Man, whose blood was shed to satisfy the debt. Why blood? Why death? Well, what are two things you have to have to live? You need to breathe. And if your blood's not running, number one ain't going to happen eventually. It's the life force had to be shed so that we could be forgiven. That's how much Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. He wants you to confront the sin and the pain in your life. I'd like the band to come up, please, if you could. I hope I've made the case that no matter what prison you find yourself in today, just as God supernaturally intervened to deliver Peter from chains. From four squads of soldiers, from iron gates, from the physical prison he was in. Jesus will deliver you from your prison. And you do not need to live there one more second. I want to tell you, I've been to the prisons. It stinks. (laughs) The nicest prison in the state has a beautiful view by a mountain, it's called Fort Grant it's great, but it's a prison it's got trees, it's got a view The weather's perfect, but it's a prison it's a prison I want to ask the prayer team to come up as well I want you to know something I don't want to embarrass anybody it's not what I'm about it's not what this church is about statistically speaking there are some people in prison that today if you chose to you can get out of that prison I'm not gonna say you walk out of this building and everything's perfect that's not what the Bible says will happen in your life maybe your prison is you don't know who this Jesus is maybe your prison is you don't believe who who God is and and if you're not there I pray that God will work on you but maybe your prison you could be a Christian look I've been a Christian basically all of my life I've been in prison Sometimes I still am. I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with anger. I've dealt with all sorts of things. I'm not exempt. What I'm saying, I'm saying for myself as much as anybody else. But there are people here that will pray with you. And you can come up and you can say something as simple to them as, I just need prayer. I don't want to tell you what I'm going through. That's between me and God, but I just need you to pray for me. Or maybe you need to tell your story. I want to tell you something about the prayer team and anybody here who's up here willing to pray with you. There's not one person who will take any bit of judgment. This is a a safe, loving, grace-filled place where people want you to have an encounter with the Lord of the universe to change your life, to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you what you need to get through the next day, through the next week, through the next years of your life. You can only do it with Jesus. There's something I can't give you. There's something this church can't give you. There's something that Oh, no human being can give you, and that is hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. So while the band plays a song here, search your heart. If you need to get out of prison, if you've had enough, if you're sick of it, come up and pray. I want you to see this key. This key that I showed you earlier. This is an old key. If you took this to a prison in Arizona now, it would have no use whatsoever. It it unlocks nothing. It's obsolete. It's an artifact. It's an antique. I want to tell you, this fades away. But the key, the blood of Jesus Christ is eternal and complete and never goes obsolete. to him give your life to